0: Our goal is, by 2030, um, to uh, install about 120 million sensors. And you may call us crazy, but that's what we want to do. And if we actually achieve that, um, we should be able, according to our calculations, to save about 3.9 million hectares of forest from burning. And that, if you could translate that into CO2, would save about 1.7 billion tons of CO2.
1: Welcome to Affleck Silica's We Talk IoT. We'll chat with innovators, experts, and business owners to learn how they are implementing IoT and using data to create new business opportunities. I am your host, Stephanie ruth Wildfires across the globe are worsening. They are growing larger, becoming more intense and frequent, and are even creating their own weather, from Australia to North America, from the Arctic to Africa. According to a United Nations report, climate change and land-use change are projected to make wildfires even more frequent and intense, with a global increase of extreme fires of up to 50% by the end of the century. For this episode, which will air for Earth Day, we have invited Carsten Bringschulte, CEO of Dryad, And we will discuss how sensors and artificial intelligence can predict wildfires and protect ecosystems. Welcome, Carsten. I'm really excited to talk to you today. How are you?
0: I am fine, Ruth. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Why don't you kick us off by introducing yourself and Dryad?
0: Sure. Thanks. As you said, uh, my name is Carsten. I'm CEO and co-founder of Dryad, Dryad Networks. And what we do is um, we provide um, a technology for what we call ultra-early detection of wildfires. Uh, we have developed sensors that can detect uh, fires and placed in the forest to prevent them as soon as possible. And we're, we're I guess we are what you would call an impact for profit. So we, we, we want to have as a prime objective of the company an environmental impact, a positive one. But we want to do that profitably.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Why forests? Why do they need protection?
0: Well, if you if you look at the, one of the biggest challenges we're facing on Earth uh, is, is of course climate change. I guess most people agree to that, and and that's driven by CO two emissions. Now wildfires are causing up to twenty percent of global CO two emissions, and that's a for most people surprising number. So it's between 6 and 8 billion tons of CO2 that are being emitted um, from wildfires each year. At the same time, we're losing uh, a lot of biodiversity, a lot of animals when f- uh, forests burn. And biodiversity, uh, the biodiversity crisis is just as bad, if not worse, than the, than the, than the climate crisis. So protecting forests from fire uh, would help substantially in the context of climate change by preventing CO2 emissions. and Protecting the world's largest carbon sink at the same time, protecting biodiversity, where Mm -hmm. there is about um, uh, sixty or seventy or eighty percent—I'm not no—the exact figure of biodiversity on land is living in forests.
1: Mm -hmm. And why are our forests burning?
0: In most cases, in fact, in 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 most countries, it's about eighty to ninety percent. It's um, human induced. So the, the 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 sources. Of fire starts can be traced back to human activity, and that's a combination of stupidity, like throwing a cigarette out of a driving truck, um, accidents, um, uh, but 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 also technical faults, like power lines that that, that uh, come in contact with with trees um, or transformers overheating. So, but it all, all almost always can be traced back to human activity. And just about 15%, uh, uh, roughly, can be traced back to natural sources. And, and, and literally, the only natural source of wildfires is is lightning. And the vast majority is us. So it's us res- being responsible, so we should be able to stop it.
1: And I don't remember the exact number I have researched because I wasn't sure if it's the US only or global. I've read somewhere it's like hundreds and hectares of tree that, are burned every year. Is that correct? Or do you have some more statistics you can share with us?
0: We have about 4 billion hectares of forest left on this planet, which is, is good. It sounds like a lot. Unfortunately, we're losing um, about you know, 20, 25 million hectares of forest uh, each year. Um, and then to put that into perspective, Germany has about 11 million hectares of forest and wow. It's about one third of the, the surface of, of this country, and we're losing twice that typically each each year. Sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on the, the severeness of the year.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's incredible. When I did my research, I of course came across Australian wildfires, the Californian yeah. wildfires <clears> that make the news every year. And it seems it's more and more devastating and raging every year and just almost not comprehensible with the human brain how much how much trees and how much wildlife that's burning every
0: year. Fortunately, we also get media attention now. It has been that bad for quite some time, but it didn't receive the media attention. Mm-hmm. Now it does, and now most people know about the problem. Uh, what's really frightening is that a lot of what's happening is not invisible on media screens. Like, for example, mm, Siberia is burning like crazy each year, and nobody's doing anything to stop those fires. I think it's about a third of the CO2 emissions of wildfires are coming out of Siberia alone. And Mm -hmm. and yes, you see California, yes, you see uh, Australia, uh, but but really big fires you actually don't see.
1: It seems that uh, it only grabs the attention when humans are affected and at the same time that people don't understand that when you destroy an ecosystem and all the animals and the biodiversity and even just the tree coverage and our CO2 cleaning engine, so to speak, it it will affect us, right? And sooner or later.
0: It is affecting us and and you said it's getting worse. And it is getting worse because of the effects of climate change, uh, which are increasingly causing droughts, meaning that the forest is increasingly dry uh, during the summer periods, in particular, of course, and that makes it more subject to severe wildfires. Um, so the the droughts that we're seeing because of climate change are increasing the severeness of fire uh, wildfires, and that in turn increases the 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 issue with climate change by emitting more CO2 and mm-hmm. and eliminating the, the the world's largest CO2 sponge, which is still the forest.
1: And I understand that we might have to rename our podcast because IoT, in your sense, doesn't necessarily have to mean Internet of Things, but Internet of Trees. (laughs) So you have built an Internet of Trees. Can you give us a brief explanation about your technology, how it works? And I think you have described it as digital noses somewhere.
0: We have a, developed a product at Dryad, which we call SilverNet. Um, it's basically the network in the forest. And what it does, it, it consists of two things. One, it is a sensor that can detect wildfires like an electronic nose. It can smell a fire. Uh, it's a solar-powered, low-cost gas sensor that is embedded in the forest. Um, it it can uh, detect hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and volatile organic compounds and we're using built-in machine learning in the sensor to reliably distinguish between clean air and and a fire. And we've trained this sensor to to detect how it smells like if a forest is burning. So then once the sensor has detected a fire, it's of course not good enough to beep because nobody will listen <laughs> to it. So we, we we have to get the signal out of the forest. And that's the second part of Silvernet. It, it is a, a so-called mesh network infrastructure. Uh, sounds like a mouthful. It mm. basically is a solar-powered uh, IOT network infrastructure that enables the sensors to transmit data in the very remote locations of the forest and get the data out into the internet and then we can call the fire brigades. So think of it like a an IOT, network infrastructure that we place into the forest, low-cost, solar-powered and works in the forest, unlike mobile networks, which, which actually don't.
1: How do I have to imagine this? Because forests are really big and mm-hmm. inaccessible. And when yes. you say solar-powered and there's a tree canopy, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: how does the sun hit the sensors
0: yeah, and how it, it, do yeah. they
1: get powered and for how long?
0: Yeah, so the sensors as well as the gateways, which create the network, for the sensors, they're both solar-powered. And they are what you would describe as ultra-low power, Uh, so they use very little energy uh, to transmit data wirelessly. And they are solar-powered, and solar does work, even in the shade. It's just solar cells just produce substantially less Mm -hmm. uh, energy when they're they're not exposed to direct sunlight. So we've solved that problem by... Implementing, uh, you know, ultra-low power uh, electronics and software so that these um, are very these sensors and gateways are very energy efficient. And yes, they do work in the shade. Um, of course, they prefer to get sunlight, but if they don't, they still do their job.
1: Mm-hmm. If the sensor detects the fire, is it then not too late?
0: Well, we claim what we call ultra early detection of mm-hmm. fire, wildfires. And we, we want to be the fastest, um, faster than cameras, faster than satellites. And we, we think we can do this because we are embedded in the forest. <clears throat> we, we're under the tree canopy. We're about three meters above the ground. And if there is a, a smoldering fire, which most fires start at not even an open flame, um, there are still gases being emitted. There is smell in the forest and our sensors can detect it even at that stage even before there is a big flame raging through the forest or going into the tree crowns even before that we should be able to detect them by the gas signatures that mm-hmm. the fires have and therefore we should be able to detect fires several hours earlier than optical systems that that's uh, our goal and and with that we can give the firefighters an extra a few hours to extinguish the fire while it's still small.
1: That'd be terrific. That'd be a bit changed to the schedule, I guess, when you can save hours. Can you give an example maybe? When I think about like a very prominent forest is probably the Redwood Forest in California, I guess, Mm -hmm. with the famous big trees. It's a huge forest and a huge national park. How many sensors do you need, and how much mm-hmm. technology, and how do you distribute it in, in such a big area? How does this work?
0: We obviously need a lot of sensors, and um, they need to be installed. Um, the more sensors you can deploy, the closer you get them um, to each other, the faster the detection time.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: of course, also means it increases the cost and the logistics effort to install them. So we, we figure that the ideal density. Um, can be varied. So you you place more sensors where there is higher risk and you place less sensors where there is low risk. So if you take a a national park, say Yellowstone Park or something that you might want to protect, you wouldn't have to put a a high density of sensors across the entire park, but you would focus on the areas of human activity because that's where more than 80 to 90 percent of fire starts actually happen. So in those areas of high human activity like roads pathways hiking paths camping sites power lines uh, railroads anything that that is human made that can cause fires you put a lot of sensors and there we 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 we'd say about one sensor per hectare which is sorry for the metric units it's about something like about the size of a football field mm-hmm. and you would take one one sensor there. And in remote areas where only bears can go, and they typically don't start fires, you you might still want to put one, but every uh, square kilometer maybe. So so ten times less than uh, than, than in the other areas, uh, or hundred times less. So it's it's um, you you need substantially less sensors in remote locations, and you put lots of sensors where there are humans. Um, on average, we we'd say we need about. Um, uh, uh, one sensor for five football fields. If you cover a very large area, assuming the variable density deployment, and then the next question is how much would that cost?
1: Mm. Now,
0: we, we despite those sensors being made in Germany, not everything comes out of China. So these mm. sensors are made here, and we ship them everywhere. Uh, we, we 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 still manage to manufacture them very uh, cost efficiently. We sell them for about $50 a sensor. So it's really low cost.
1: We will take a short break. Stay with us. We will be hearing from our guests very shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Afnet Silica, the engineers of evolution. We help you bring secure, intelligent and connected products to market. If you want to learn more about us, we have put information and links in this episode show notes and you can also connect with us on LinkedIn or afnet-silica.com. That's A-V-N-E-T-S-I-L-I-C-A dot com. You said it's just one sensor for five, for five football fields. That's on a average. Re- on average. That's a really good nose, I guess. That's a really sensitive nose
0: i I mean look in the areas where we are concerned about mm. you, oh, you it's have more one it's more. Mm. one sensor per football field it's still oh, okay, very okay. sensitive yeah. yeah so smelling a fire across a football field um, is possible think of it you're standing on one side of the football field and there somebody's having a charcoal uh, burning on the other side, and the wind is taking that smell in your direction. you should be able to smell it mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. so is our sensor.
1: And uh, the sensors, um, you place them on the tree trunk, and how big are they?
0: Mm-hmm. The sensors are about the size of the palm of your hand, mm-hmm. um, and you, you install them with a wooden nail. You attach them uh, just out of reach for humans so that they can't simply pluck them and take them as a souvenir at about three meters height, we recommend. Um, so I just attach them with a wooden nail to a tree trunk, and that's it. There's no button, no no. USB plug, nothing, just put them there and they can stay for 10 years. And no no batteries ever have to be replaced because we don't have any. Um, We use supercapacitors for energy storage and solar for charging them.
1: Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the mesh network. How do you Mm -hmm. then transmit the data and where do you
0: transmit it to? Mm -hmm. So we've got these mesh gateways. Again, they're solar powered. They're a bit bigger. They're about um, 50 centimeters. Uh, in, in, in in height uh, and have a big solar panel, of course, embedded. And you place them every one to two kilometers in, in the forest to actually enable this IoT network to transmit the data in a multi-hop mesh, uh, hop by hop by hop by hop until it actually reaches the internet um, the, at the outskirts of the forest. Mm. And then we transmit it into the cloud where we have a cloud application, a web application, and from that, we can um, send the coordinates of the sensor that detected the fire to the fire brigade, so that they exactly know where to go to extinguish the fire that we detected.
1: Interesting, and that brings me on on the topic of collaboration. How do you work together with the local and national governments, NGOs, fire departments, other stakeholders, mm-hmm. and coordinate um, your wildfire management approach?
0: It's actually quite simple. We have a cloud-based platform where we we can. In the simplest form, send out push emails with the geo-coordinate of the sensor. That's quite easy. We also integrate with um, incident management systems that you know are being hand- being implemented by fire departments. That can take multiple sources of data, including ours, and and then there is a process for that is being being handled depending on the source. Um, so we, we do either technical integration or we simply send out an email, which is the easiest form works straight away. Um, we work with about 25 uh, customers right now uh, in, all over Southern Europe, uh, Greece, Spain, Portugal, uh, some in, in Germany as well, uh, but also in the United States. And we've just um, announced last week uh, a pilot deployment with CalFire in California. where Hmm. where they are deploying 400 sensors to test out our system in a a small scale yet, but meaningful size. So, yes, we're working with lots of municipalities and in particular fire departments.
1: And that's really cool. Cal Fire is a promising example. What are your main challenges at the moment trying to implement your technology
0: well, i mean we've worked on this for three years and so we're we're coming out of development and now we are in production we've manufactured and sold about ten thousand sensors uh, in the last two months of last year and now we're manufacturing another twenty thousand for the rest of the year we're we're aiming the production capacity of about two hundred and ten thousand units and then that brings a lot of challenges with it it's you know, we, we, we have a new product, it's an early stage product, but we also want to scale very quickly. Um, so it's a, it's a logistical uh, issue, it's um, a finance issue because it requires lots of money to manufacture so many devices, uh, quality assurance, sales support, um, all of the above. We're still a young company and just, just 38 employees. <clears throat> so we've got a lot of growth ahead of us and, and that brings its own challenges.
1: And are there any other use cases or applications your technology can be used for?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so SilverNet as a name is the network in the forest, and <clears throat> we want to do many applications. And fire detection is a very important one, but it's just the first. We would we are we are thinking about and, and planning for a portfolio of sensors that will help uh, health and growth monitoring forests like. Think of things like um, a soil moisture sensor, measuring the water that flows up a tree stem, measuring the growth of trees. Um, everything that can help to protect and regrow, restore uh, the forest. We would like to help with technology. Uh, low-hanging fruits are things like a chainsaw detection to prevent illegal logging. These are additional applications that all can make use, once developed, of the network infrastructure we put in place. Mm-hmm. Of the silver net.
1: Now, this would be very interesting. Then you have like an army to protect our forests—an army of sensors. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> interesting thought. I've, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember that.
1: What are your future plans? What is your vision for Dryad?
0: Being a startup, we have grand visions, and are very ambitious. So our our goal is by twenty thirty um, to uh, install about one hundred twenty million sensors. And we might be, you may call us crazy, but that's what we want to do. And if we actually achieve that, um, we should be able, according to our calculations, to save about 3.9 million hectares of forest from burning. So about a third of what the forests we have in Germany we would should be able to save, uh, which otherwise would go up in flame. And that, if you could translate that into CO2, would save about 1.7 billion tons of CO2. There is such a huge lever we have by protecting the forest from burning and, and hopefully we will be able to achieve that. That That's our goal and our mission at try it.
1: That would be really terrific. And another motivation might also be the money that you're saving all the governments by trying to put those fires out, isn't it? I think it actually costs the United States 500 billion US dollars every year to put out these fires again, something like that.
0: It's a huge amount. It's Mm. uh, the the cost. The cost is about five five billion in the United States. Ah, uh, The firefighters. I exaggerate Uh, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But but you know, five billion is a lot of money actually to uh, to pay to just just the firefighters. The economic damages you may be referring to are much higher. Um, Mm. If if there is uh, a fire that uh, that sweeps through a town, it it goes into into you know easily fifty hundred billion um, of damages on a single event and and that unfortunately has happened before and it will happen again so the economic damages are massive um the indirect damages uh, as well and the, and the cost of fighting the fire is is as well so the cost of detecting fires to radically reduce the cost of fighting it and prevent the damages um should be worth it and it's actually not that not that big
1: absolutely and I hope that people realize that it's not only about the money but also about protecting the ecosystem that we are also a part of. And and if we destroy the, yeah, the ledge we are standing on, there's nothing that will keep us from falling <laughs> mm.
0: uh, absolutely. And we don't have much time, as you mm. if you look at the recent um, IPCC report, numbers are not looking good for us. and so we need to act quick, early and and we need to act boldly yeah. now.
1: It has been really good talking to you, Carsten. Thank you so much for sharing your insight. Thank you, (laughs) Carsten.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: This was Avnet Silica's We Talk IoT. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. Talk to you soon.